Maybe you grew up in church and you just kind of accepted what your parents believed. That's what you believed. At some point, though, you decided, this is really what I believe or not. I'm John Fuller, joined by my focus colleague, Dr. Danny Huerta. And Danny, for all of us, we got to kind of make it ours. When did faith become real to you? I would say uh, my teenage years, 16, 17, uh, around the time when my, my grandfather died, mm. just his death pointed towards heaven. It was an, an amazing in moment way? in our lives. He, um, he was very weak. Uh, and well, Okay, so growing up, he was one of the strongest men I knew. And as he was dying, he was very weak, and he hadn't spoken for about a month or so, hadn't sat up. Mm. And in the moment of his death, he sat up and said, hey, Jesus is in the room. He's come for me. Oh, and my goodness. sat up and, and articulated it very clearly, very excited, and died with, with a big smile. Uh-huh. He had been fighting and fighting. In that moment, he was able to actually speak had a ton of strength and then died mm-hmm. and uh, entered heaven. And that and was, spoke to uh, you. Oh, that spoke to me. As a huh. teenager, you go, no way, what just happened? So you were there. Actually, my sister and my uncle hmm. told me the story. And, uh, and I, it, was, it was an amazing story to hear. Yeah, I wish I would have been there. Uh, I knew my grandpa just loved Jesus. He but it had an impact, just even hearing about it. had a huge impact. Hmm. And then, you know, it resets along the way. Yeah. He's become more and more real. As I've become a husband and then I became a father, those moments have been critical in the development of my faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a a really good picture of what happens. You can decide once, but there are continual decisions to believe what you believe in life. Now, last time, uh, Jim Daly spoke with David Kinneman. He leads the Barna Group and talked about how his daughter felt called to attend a very liberal university, UC Berkeley. Uh, Today, uh, the other guest in the studio with us, Mark Matlock, uh, shares about when his daughter chose what college to attend. Mark, you had a similar situation not long after David dropped his daughter off at Berkeley. Yeah, almost the same weekend. Uh, (laughs) He was was dropping her off in the Bay Area, and I was in New York City in Manhattan dropping my daughter off at Parsons School of Design where she was going to study fashion. And, um, you know, we we were concerned, like, what will this world be like for her? You know, uh, I'd grown up, I went to Biola as well before David did, and um, I was, you know, wondering what kind of support system will be around her? How will that influence her? So growing up in California, I wasn't in the Bible Belt, but my daughter grew up in the Bible Belt. And so I was a little worried because she'd always kind of push back a little bit on things and was always asking deep questions about faith in God and his existence. And that's because you're in Texas. Because we're in just, Texas, yeah, right? We're in I Dallas, we're in the Bible that. Belt, yep, in Texas. And I'm going, what's it going to be like when she goes to New York? Is this her hand on the door moment? Because we've been studying generations, realizing there's a generation that has their hand on the door of church. Is this my daughter's hand on the door moment? And um, what happened was really interesting because in some ways, like David's daughter, um, she, for the first time, saw the potent impact of having Christ in her life. She started seeing how light shines in dark places. Because of the discrepancy, right? Because of the distinction. Yeah, yeah. she was having a hard time seeing in the Bible Belt, frankly. Yeah. And uh, she was kind of like going, wow, you know, what's going on there? And I remember being at Rift Valley Academy, uh, talking to some seniors, and there's literally a wall around that school. And I said, what is it like, you know, growing up and going to school inside a wall? And one of the seniors told me, it's like being a candle in a well-lit room. Mm. 
And that image really stayed with me, this idea that when we're around people of faith all the time, sometimes we don't see how impacting Christ is in our life, in the world around us. So for my daughter, this really started an incredible journey and awareness of just how deep her faith went and how effective it was uh, in life. So That's good. Uh, gentlemen, in your research, you identified four different uh, Christian exile types. Let's get into it. Uh, what were those four and what do they mean? Yeah, so as researchers, we love to put people into buckets. We don't <laughs> call those people the names in the research, but we use survey data to help us understand a person's spiritual journey. So it's a, it's a fun job to try to really understand where someone is at based on not just are they in the building, in the church building, but you know, can we understand their, their heart set, their mindset, and their beliefs. So I've been studying you know, uh, religion in America for 25 years and doing this with, uh, with, with the Barna Group. And so with, with young adults, we, we were trying to understand the spiritual journeys of people who grow up Christian. Um, and so we interviewed 18 to 29 year olds and we asked them to reflect back on their teenage years and where they were today. And so we came up with four buckets, four categories. The first group are the resilient disciples. And that represents one in 10 young people. And these were people that believe in the authority of scripture. They believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they want their faith to matter in the world. And so that was our definition of a resilient disciple. And that's, you know, what we're here really talking about. And they're actively engaged in a church as well. That was another. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's only 10% of people who grew up Christian and right. as teenagers, which is, should be a really sobering, you know, yes. finding for us. Uh, because it really tells us this is not easy. As Jesus says, you know, it's sort of easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we could also talk, we sort of paraphrase that. It's easier for a young person to grow up as Christian and then sort of walk away from faith and to really have resilient faith today. Yeah. And so that was the first group. And, and most of our work in this project was understanding what makes for resilience. So that's the first group. What are the attributes of that group? That's yeah, right. I get that. What are the other three? Uh, the second group was habitual churchgoers. And that that sounds bad, but what are you driving at? Well, these are people that are active in faith. They attend church. They call themselves Christians. They love Jesus, but their other factors about their faith are much diminished. They don't have the same orthodoxy of beliefs. Uh, they're really they're sort of just like Christian in church going only. Is that often the phrase of being a societal Christian, a social Christian? I think so. And I think this pandemic is really affecting a lot of these habitual Christians who are who are going to church out of habitual reasons, but they're not they're not really deep in the word. They're not sort of people of prayer. They're not engaged in Christian community outside of it. Uh, so that represents about thirty eight percent of young people. Yeah, that's sobering. But what's great about that is we have thirty eight percent that are in the church within reach but if we can have those conversations if we can disciple them in this area of resilience in digital babylon realizing and engage that they're within reach you know mm -hmm. so that's the encouraging part and of again all of that. These, these are 18 to 29 year olds 18 just to, to make sure the audience hears that yeah all right what's the third one uh, the third group is what we called um, nomads. And this is the individuals who say, yeah, I'm still a Christian. They just never show up in a church. That would have been like Mark talking about this person who's got their hand on the door. They have walked through that door. They still think fondly about Jesus. They sort of say they're you know, aligned to Jesus, but they're, they're really cultural Christians. Okay. Uh, and then the final group are what we call prodigals. And fascinating is 22%, one in five, 18 to 29-year-olds, uh, twice as large as the young resilience say they're no longer Christian. Now, here's a fascinating... But one time I identified as a Christian yeah. and I no longer do. I've got yeah. the questions lined up, so go for it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's fascinating because 
10 years ago when we did the Ulosmi project, that number was only 11%. And so over a decade, when smartphones rise, when it's the gospel according to YouTube, you've got all these pressures, you've got this huge disaffection, a huge loss of faith among this generation. So the, the people who have lost their faith um, is growing yeah. uh, to 22% today, one in five, whereas as we sort of con- to contrast that, the 10% who are the most resilient in their faith. Danny, those four categories are really great descriptors of what so many 18 to 29-year-old uh, you know, young adults are, are dealing with. What have you found as commonalities for why uh, children, even those who grow up in a church environment, leave the faith, at least for a season? Yeah, I would say that uh, there are many factors, and one of them being that they did not grow up with a regular habit of reading Scripture as a family in the home and really talking through what they believed. And once those beliefs are challenged, either in college or by friends, there's a shakiness, and if you don't have confidence in what you believe, it becomes a wavering moment for mm-hmm. you, or you begin, begin to question Everyone else believes something else. What am I missing out on? It's that fear of missing out. What if, what if I'm wrong in this? And all these questions come in. In the Garden of Eden, the what if question came, came mm. about. And we see yeah. what happened. Yeah. And now in our, in our youth, news, social media, friends, call it, bring up the what if you're wrong. Is this really what God said? Is this really true? And uh, recently, in a research study out of Arizona Christian University with Barna Group, they found that uh, parents of, of children 13 or younger, 2% of those parents actually carry a, a biblical worldview, hmm. 2%. Wow. And then with, within the pastors themselves, they found that 37% of all Christian pastors carry a biblical worldview of what's defined a biblical worldview. So there's, there's, there's a crisis of really creating a steadfast faith in our kids. And there's so many influences coming at our kids along with outs like marijuana and uh, social media, other things that are very distracting and create a busyness mm-hmm. where a person has no time for prayer, communion with God, listening to God, having time in Scripture and so the doubts begin to grow and grow, especially the further they get away from any conversation in the home. Hmm. Well, I think the natural application point as you're speaking, Danny, is A, hey, mom and dad, uh, do the things that will build a good foundation in your own life of knowing God's truth, of communing with him, of listening to him, recognizing his voice. Jesus mm-hmm. said, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. Um, we have to spend time with God. Yeah, so lean in do that. Parents. Yeah, do that first and foremost, and let your kids see that. Let it be mm-hmm. a demonstration of what you described for your grandfather, that you would hang out with him and that he would uh, just naturally uh, exhibit a, a Christian faith. Um, and if you're in a spot where you're struggling because maybe your child has walked away from the faith, uh, give us a call. We have caring Christian counselors here and uh, we'll connect you with one of them. They'll call you back, and uh, we can just talk through things with you, and they'll point you to some resources. Certainly, uh, first and foremost, uh, even if you don't request counseling, request the book by David Kinman and Mark Matlock called Faith for Exiles. Uh, if you can, make a donation to Focus on the Family, either a monthly pledge of uh, $10, 20 $30, or a one-time gift, maybe $25 one-time gift. 
Uh, regardless of the amount of your donation, support the ministry, be a partner, and we'll say thanks by sending a copy of this book to you. Once again, it's called Faith for Exiles. It's an excellent resource. Well, next time you'll hear about patience as a parent, how to be patient. For now, on behalf of Dr. Danny Huerta and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast.